Hello, everyone. Welcome to the B2B Marketing Podcast. My name is Dave Rowlands. I'm the head of content at B2B Marketing and Propolis, uh, which is the global community for B2B marketers. And I'm joined today by Dr. Michelle McCann, who is, amongst other things, a CMO, a public speaker, an author, and even an Irish historian. So, uh, Michelle, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you very much, David. I'm happy to be here. Fantastic. So first things first, can you tell us, you know, a little bit how your career first took off and, and what sort of led you to the world of B2B in the first place? Yeah, sure. Well, I started my career about 25 years ago. Um, and the timing is was when new job creation was exponential because mm. of the use of the internet, new software development and brand new technology. So this is a time when you're moving from traditional ways of working uh, to digital delivery, and you're moving from paper-based systems to online technologies. And that's how I got started into B&B. Um, I moved from New York to San Francisco. I was lucky enough to start in a B2B business as a technical writer. Mm. And what you had to do there is develop the content, explain to the user how things worked, but also what's the greater purpose of what you're bringing to market, mm. and also really delving deep into the the system architecture, so really full on in to software applications, but also communicating that message internally and externally. And so that's how my marketing career really started. Yep. I also worked in a think tank for NEC Systems Laboratories, which was one of the largest outside of Japan, Japanese tech research firms. And in that think tank, we were bringing to light new technologies and new products that would compete with other products such as like PowerPoint and, and different little add-ons to software mm -hmm. that would actually make a big impact in the way that people worked and how we went to market. And I suppose also that, you know, when I reminisce and think about it, that those type of opportunities of how I got into be it to be was I worked for a real cutting edge uh, software company called Intraware. It was a startup and, you know, in this startup, I worked as the head of knowledge management, developed yep. lots of different types of content, all the different channels of how you go to market. And there was no topic in terms of cutting edge tech that we wouldn't publish. And what the whole objective was, was to bring more people, take that brand, make it big with an acquisition strategy to really be acquired. And I was lucky that that went IPO in 1999. And... After these pieces of paper that weren't worth anything or worth something, I decided to fulfill my dream to move overseas. So I moved over here in 2000. And over the past two decades, I've been lucky enough to work in global marketing leadership roles. Sometimes it's small companies uh, with, a, again, similar to Intraware, that it was a startup that you wanted to take public. I was part of a, a UK five-person uh, startup equity owner. And our strategy was to build that business over five years to sell it. Mm. And we did it in less than two. And I've been lucky since then to work at bigger brands like Circo, which is a UK-based mm -hmm. transportation and education company, uh, Thomson Reuters in regulation, risk, and compliance, uh, MSCI, which is Morgan Stanley uh, Capital International. And then I've been lucky to have two other, you know, very large, three actually, large global roles at Relics Corporation, working um, within Lexus Nexus Risk Solutions Group. So, B two B initially found me, but I've been able to secure some exciting roles over that time, and build up a list of 
Working specialities. Fantastic. Well, what a what a career to date, and obviously much more to come. Um, I, you know, just having a little a little stalk of your uh, of your LinkedIn uh, can tell me that your first CMO role was in uh, January 2020 at EG. Now, obviously, that's a, a huge opportunity, a huge company, and a huge role. But I actually cannot think of probably a more challenging time to take on that role because obviously that's right <laughs> at the beginning of COVID. Um, so, what do you think your your time at EG told you about what it means to be a good CMO? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And yes, you're right on the timing. Started in January 2020. First thing you want to do is get mm-hmm. to meet with the board, understand everybody, really build those relationships. And well, you know, the rest of that story got a little yeah. bit trickier after March 2020. Um, and my goal and my role there was I really wanted to make a significant difference to the business and, and help that, you know, help the business return to growth and profit. And that's why I was brought in. And to answer your question, you know, what I think makes a good CMO, I mean, I suppose the first thing is, is that you want to preserve the culture. You get brought in, most CMOs get brought in to be a change maker. And it usually means a certain amount of change. And that can be on different ends of the spectrum. Mine is to really preserve and listen and understand the knowledge of that culture and what makes it special. And then that will help you become the change agent that they're going to need. And you can then move on to that mission and uh, vision and values and, you know, understand what's happening through that, like internal communication and engagement. I also think it's innovating with the resources that you have. And this can be a bit of a contradiction. Mm. You go in to make a great change happen, but you have to evaluate what the skill sets are in your team, what the business really needs. And, I th- my experience has been and my advice is to use what you have to start and then build your business cases about how you need that that tech stack to be a bit larger and what more you can do. But if you show what you can do, the money and the resource usually comes after that. I also think it's, you know, you're there to unlock people's potential. <laughs> you're there to actually look at your team and say, there's people of all varying skill sets and everybody wants self-driven people with superior skills. And that's fine, but everybody's on a different path. And that means people, what I like to do, and I think to build a high-performing team, is people need a career path. They need different types of training, that, and they need to own it, and they mm. need to understand what that means. But I think unlocking people's potential really helps that momentum and builds that team spirit, and also that you're celebrating individual accomplishment as well as, a, as the team. Um, and also, I, I mean, I bring up, Radical Candor, you know, in Kim Scott's book, is that there's certain things that you can take away from that about what type of feedback and build a culture of what type, pardon Mm. me, of what type of feedback that you're providing your team on a regular basis, but also that they're providing to each other. So it builds a certain level of confidence and also that, that radical candor of understanding of how you can always continuously improve what you're doing. And, And I suppose the last thing in, still an answering question about what makes a good CMO is it, it is about driving growth and it is about ROI. It, it's also about that alignment that you can set different targets and goals and say, yes, this is the path that we're embarking on. But it's not just about those exact results. It's about how well you're aligned with sales and other parts of the organization 
and the overall goals of the business. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating you say that. I mean, in um, September just past, uh, we ran our annual Leaders Forum event, which is a kind of exclusive event just for sort of CMOs, marketing directors, very senior people in the world of B2B. Um, and it wasn't intentional, but one of the, the sort of main takeaways in the event was that marketing leaders, or, you know, at least some of them, um, could do with what they were sort of calling a reset. So in other words, you know, the demands from marketing from the board, as well as the need to capitalise on short-term gains. And then also there's new technologies that everyone no one wants to miss out on or thrown into the mix. It's kind of led to this world where a lot of marketing leaders are trying to achieve about 50 different things at once. And their teams have not necessarily been set up to deliver that. So there was a kind of a, a yearning, if you like, for, you know, a kind of reset in the team structure. You know, let's take a look at it from fresh. How do we set up this team to really deliver what we want it to do? So, you know, is, is this something you're hearing a lot of too? And, you know, what would your advice be? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And just to kind of make the point about the events, I, I think that I really I truly mean this is that the events that B2B marketing puts on always have such an engaged audience and such great topics. And I do remember the Leaders Forum, I was there. And the conversation around these Frankenstein teams and goals and, mm. and kind of understanding what's happened and that everyone's done the same thing. They've tried to leverage the resources and budget that they have. And that's what everyone does. That's fine. Leaders have to do that sometimes. You can't just always get more. Mm. But this is a new phenomenon. And I thought what was so fascinating about it is that you're talking about senior leaders across many different industries in B2B, many different sectors, all saying the same thing, which is they set different targets and goals. They had a certain amount of resource. And something's happened where the economy's gotten tight, things are restrictive, but also that there's been additional pressures from the business, from, from the market, and something's morphed. Mm. So that the targets that they set out for themselves originally, whether they're hitting them or not, there's just been a few hot potatoes lobbed in yeah. since then, if you want to put it that way, of adding additional pressures to the team that are just genuinely unrealistic. And let me make a point, uh, if you don't mind, is, sure. you know, I sat next to a marketing leader from a FTSE 500 company, and she had said that her team was, in fact, resourced properly. They were doing account-based marketing, so they're doing ABM, and their tier one clients have... A, over, you know, it might be over a million, uh, worth over a million each account or more. And yep. in some cases, much more. And what she did was structured it, that she has one account manager, which meant a marketing person per account. And that that meant they got the full attention. They had the use of all the other SMEs and touch points and that they were doing it properly. And I, and I, I found some inspiration in that. So some organizations are doing it well, but on the other hand, to kind of just to, to tease out this phenomenon that was discussed is let me give an example like if you're an organization that you decide to change the structure internally to a matrix environment, the go-to-market mm. into a matrix environment. So you have a marketing person, you have a salesperson, customer services person perhaps, and a product person. Let's stick with that. All in one particular vertical. Let's say you have, you've decided to break this up into 10 verticals. You have to be realistic about what can then be delivered. So whilst the marketing team might be delivering and hitting targets, you've got the pressures on individuals to take on this additional role in the way in which they report and deliver their results. 
but it's unrealistic. They haven't resourced it properly. So I think it's really important to pay attention to this phenomenon right now. And I think that that's why events like the Leaders Forum are even more important now than ever to share that information, to start to share that success of how those business cases were presented in order for leaders to actually succeed. Absolutely. And we've got a, um, we'll leave a link in the description for the full write up of the Leaders Forum. So if anyone's listening and they want to have a, a real kind of deep dive into the findings of the event, we'll, we'll leave that there for you. I, I think you're right in terms of the resourcing um, issue. I mean, I guess my question is, I can understand that it's going to be manageable to resource everything perfectly if you're in you know, a FTSE 500 company, like you say. Yeah. But what about when you're in those smaller sort of startup companies you mentioned or scale-ups even? Is, is, it, is that realistic or do you just have to temper expectations and, and really get the, the CEO you know, behind what you're trying to achieve? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough call. And you're absolutely right. If you're at a big company... They have more resource and and a lot of small to mid-sized companies aren't necessarily going to have that and are seeing some tough times. I think it comes down to demonstrating this is not simple and I don't have all the answers. My suggestion and, and the way I would approach this is to say, here's the way in which we were seeing success in a comparative historical analysis over a few years. Do a little market research as well. Do a historical analysis of how the market was, let's say in 2019, and in 2020, if you can, if you've mm. got those stats, how are you going to market? And then really be face that and be honest with yourselves. Not that anyone's trying to not be honest, but to maybe look at it through a different lens of how the market has changed, what that digital strategy needs to be, yeah. and, and really evaluate what further channels are going to be required in order to make a bigger impact. And sometimes, you know, one thing that came up recently, I thought it was a really interesting conversation was, that, that a lot of people know what they need and they might already know about you. They do a lot of research. People can Google, mm. you know, and they can, they can look you up. So is the first thing in that messaging of what, when they come across to you, what is it that you really want to say? Are you, you give them the ABCs of the industry? Or are you trying to really brand yourself and talk about that brand of what you mean in that space mm. to engage them in a different way? Yeah, absolutely. And I can imagine, you know, as a CMO or any top ranking marketer, whatever the title is, there might be a temptation to really have a say in every bit of marketing your team does, because at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's your reputation on the line. Um, but, you know, good people rarely want to be micromanaged, obviously. So in your experience, what do you think a good uh, approach is to finding and retaining a, a really strong team? Yeah, that's a great question. It's one of my favorite topics. Is I think the number one thing is understanding and embracing the talents within your team and help them stretch those talents. That's your job, is that you're fostering an environment of creativity and feedback done appropriately, of course. Mm. You know, and it's one in which like the individual goals, individual contributions and individual goals of people are recognized, as we're saying, you know, individually and as a team. But say someone comes to you with an idea and it's not. It's not great. Um, I think it just. I think it's just so important to listen. Mm. I've seen it done well. I mean, it seems like such a simple concept to listen, but it's incredible how many senior leaders don't take the time to do it. And I think that once you do that, there's ideas there. You know, someone's put some time and thought, and they they think about it. I think it's how you give that feedback. Mostly, what I do is, you know listen and ask them to say how that ties into different deliverables, what, at what time frame they could implement that. But I think that listening piece is so important. And I think it's that different type of leadership. I get concerned sometimes 
that people think is a senior leader stripping out personality out of responses or you know is is everybody turns into a little bit of a robot mm. since my question is you know like since when is being nice not professional how yeah. how did how did this become a dichotomy i did, i don't i don't see that as the truth and i think that that makes you an authentic leader yeah you shouldn't have to be taught to be nice you shouldn't have to taught to be listened but some people do and i think that makes someone more professional especially when your job you know those soft skills aren't often rated you know it's yeah. all about results i'm all about results but you're, the, the other job here is to build people's careers the happier they are and the better employees they are you're, you're going to get that growth you need you're going to get that that magic mm. that sometimes you don't see in other other companies and your comments about you know micromanagement i think it comes from leaders who need to be in control you know, we all know that there's toxic people, but if we if we just take ourselves out of the toxic bit, I would say that those micromanagers, those people that think they need to check everything and get right down into the detail, are people that just aren't teaching their teams. Take the time to teach your team. Some people are junior, and they need that feedback. Mm. If you create that culture of people being able to give that radical candor how you all come together and actually collaborate and give each other feedback and praise each other and help highlight where improvement can happen. I think that makes all the difference. Yeah, 100%. I, I couldn't agree more with you. I, on that, I think, you know, marketing is continues to having a more influential voice in the boardroom, although, you know, there obviously are some CEOs out there who, who still don't see the value of marketing. Um but, you know, in your kind of experience, how do you th how do you like to work with a CEO? Do you like to kind of put your plan together and really show them the value of something like brand investment? Or I, I don't know, what, what what are the keys to working with a, with a CEO, do you think? That's a good question. Um, I think each CEO that I've worked with is different. And depending on their level of understanding of marketing, that, that varies. Mm. So I think the education piece is incredibly important. I don't mean necessarily the ABCs of marketing. You know? yeah. This is what an email campaign does for us. Four Ps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I think it's more about demonstrating an understanding of the industry, highlighting and educating the part and agreeing, getting mm. agreement of this is what marketing does and this is where they're going to make the most impact. I think right at that beginning point right at that point is where things can fracture mm. and i think if you establish that understanding of where marketing and we agree where they're going to make an impact as new challenges come up and as new demands on the marketing team happen you have that plan and agreement of what where that resource needs to sit mm -hmm. and what's realistic now i'm making it sound incredibly simple yeah. and it's not and it's, it's building and working on that relationship. And I often think it's about trust and mm. understanding and influence. It's impact and influence. Yeah. Well, it's, it's soft skills again. It's yeah. the same with your team members. You know, it's important to come across like a real human being who's got their head screwed on. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I think that there's a certain level of, there's a certain level of preparation we all have to do in our jobs. And there's a certain level of, let's say the script mm. that you have to tick the boxes. But people know whether you're authentic or not. And I, and I think that's incredibly important, especially if you're trying to build a growth culture. Yeah. Okay. Well, I've got one final question for you, and I think we'll, we'll wrap things up. Um, 
I think I think this is fair to say. You know, the fundamentals of good marketing are pretty constant, and I think to be honest, they've been that way for for decades. I know our approach as marketers has evolved and changed as we've got more, you know, more sort of clued in what good marketing looks like. But the fundamentals have still always been there, whether we knew about them or not. Um, but where do you expect marketing might evolve a bit next year, or what kind of new strategies or tactics might? kind of become a bit more popular or, or gain a bit more interest, do you think? Yeah, I think there's two areas absolutely where we're going to see the needle move, mm. and that's ABM and account-based marketing and, and AI. Mm. And it, it, people are going to have to look into, you know, evaluating both and about how they can make a bigger impact with their – again, with the Tier 1 clients, but also how they're going to use AI. Yeah. It's in the conversation – but there is an education piece, and I think any senior marketing leader needs to be able to understand not just what's on tap, what's available, but share those ideas about how they're going to use AI because it's, it's on everybody's mind. But the edu- again, the education piece of what it means to certain people and their, their understanding. I also think that based on the Leaders Forum, uh, as well as something else that certainly would be remiss in not mentioning – is that hitting targets in an economy where things are tight are incredibly important. And looking and and constantly self-evaluating and evaluating the new channels or different channels mm. in which that you can engage with your clients. Yeah. But I do think it I would again, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Propolis Community Index. It is really revolutionary and I think it's so incredibly important for anyone to have particularly it's it's something that you know to see those trends and what's actually happening in the marketplace are incredibly valuable because it's very easy as a senior leader in marketing to get isolated Mm. because you're so focused on delivery you're so focused and immersed in it in your own world that often looking to see and sharing those ideas I mean just something, two things just as simple as the marketing budget as a percentage of revenue to actually see across different industries of what's being reported and the percentage of revenue the marketing is responsible for and just how disparate those two numbers are, that would help me and does help me tell a story mm. back to you know part of the themes of what we've been discussing about how do you communicate to a CEO and the board and the rest of the company, the value of marketing, what those targets are, and what's actually needed to deliver on potentially new new values and new areas of growth. It, precisely. I could not, could not agree more. And on the note of the uh, Community Index, we're launching uh, two new elements of the dashboard, um, which go live in January, which are on lead generation and, of course, account-based marketing, which you've mentioned. Oh. Um, I, you know, account-based marketing is one of those... Those subjects, it's, it's been around for you know a good while now and everyone's always trying to change it from ABM to ABX to ABE <laughs> to ABG, or whatever it is, who cares? It's account-based is, is kind of the ultimate um, the ultimate goal there. But why do you think it's going to change in, in 2024? What is it tied into AI? You know, is that something you think might help scale it or is it something else? It could help scale it. I mean, it's, it's an interesting concept. And I think back to if you're in a FTSE 500 company that three years ago already started thinking about how to use AI, build that database of information at the touch of your fingers. Oh yeah, that could be incredibly helpful for information on individual accounts and for ABM. Mm. I think in terms of the execution, why I think it would be critical 
resource, real basic. Resources are tight. You want to make sure that you're in touch with all your tier one and potentially tier two customers. And you need to automate that. You do. Mm. It, it isn't going to be that individual as attention, especially as we said in small to medium sized companies, they're going to be able to do that. So it's incredibly important to try to look at all the ways to have those touch points, let clients know that you hear them, that you're listening to them and give them the feedback that they need, that development and progress is happening and why they should stay with you and your brand. Yeah, of course. And for all our listeners as well, we have a, a whole host of different types of content all on ABM um, on, on Propolis. So if you want to learn more about that or the index in particular, um, we'll leave a link in the description as well. So Michelle, thank you very much for joining me and uh, hopefully see you again soon. Thank you very much, David. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye.